Do you struggle with feelings of unworthiness, self-doubt and insecurity, no matter what you achieve or how much love you receive from others? Do you feel like you're stuck in a cycle of striving and achieving, always seeking spiritual enlightenment or manifestation of your dreams, but never fully satisfied? Then listen on, because in this episode of We Are Already Free, we dive into the world of darkness retreats with Scott Berman of Sky Cave Retreats, a guide and facilitator of this powerful experience. Through his wisdom and expertise, we explore the transformative potential of complete isolation without distractions or external validation. Scott takes us on a journey of self-discovery and dissolving attachment to experiences and personalities, helping us tap into our own fullness and innate worthiness. We learn about the trap of trying to repeat peak experiences, the power of leaning into discomfort, and the importance of integrating the lessons learned in the darkness into our daily lives. So if you are ready to dismantle the cycles of seeking and striving and unlock a profound sense of completeness and worthiness within yourself, then tune in to this enlightening episode. When you hear, we are already free, what comes up for you? Pure change. It's a shift in awareness. It's the ultimate truth, isn't it? Getting out of the matrix. We have a choice. Joy. Nature. I am more powerful than I realize I am. Human beings are so powerful. It's all there. The answers are in being a conscious being. Spiritual beings living a human body experience. It's simple. It's here and it's now. You don't have to go out and find it. Eat real food. Just shine in your light so bright. We're already free. You're free. You are a walking map. Have always been free. You are always free. Already free. We are already free. Welcome to We Are Already Free, the podcast that will empower you to live your life and be the change. I'm Nathan Maingard, your host, and together we're breaking the shackles of society's expectations and reclaiming the freedom that lies within. Tune in to hear inspiring conversations with amazing guests who have embraced their true selves and are living life to the fullest. Join us and discover how to deeply connect with yourself and all you love. In this episode, Scott Berman shares how he got start started with darkness retreats and what inspired him to create Sky Cave Retreats, the concept of darkness retreats and their therapeutic benefits, why spiritual people often struggle the most with darkness retreats, and near the end he shares a beautiful reflection on what We Are Already Free brings up for him, and as always, heaps more. But first, giving thanks to our sponsor. A huge thank you to my sponsor for this episode, Zencaster, the ultimate web-based podcasting solution. I've saved countless hours since I moved over to their platform. If you're thinking about starting a podcast or already have a podcast, but maybe struggle with the time and the technicalities of getting good recordings, I personally recommend Zencaster. I particularly love how it allows me to record in the best quality, even though the internet connection in my off-grid solar-powered studio is not the most stable. It records tracks locally and then it uploads them for maximum backup and safety. If you've ever lost a recording, you know how much it sucks when that happens. So thank you Zencaster for solving that problem for me. Go to zencaster.com, that's zen, C-A-S-T-R.com forward slash pricing and use my code We are already free and you'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. To find links to Scott Berman and Sky Cave Retreats, plus many of the things we discuss in this episode, visit the show notes at alreadyfree.me slash 39. Thanks for being here, and please enjoy this dive into Darkness Retreats with Scott Berman. One of the things I've, I mean, this might be a weird question or probably not, but just around, so like I immediately kind of want to scream when I think about going into a place so dark, like, is that available? I mean, you say it's quite soundproofed in there, you know, do people kind of go mad if that, I, I get a sense that I would probably lose my shit at some point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that that's certainly part of going into the dark for the first time ever people become aware of how actually how uncomfortable they are, how much misery there is. Not that they're necessarily miserable, but how much misery there is, how uncomfortable they are on some level. 
uh, because there's not the distractions that we're used to having. There's not the engagement in the things that we thought were important because they're not there. And then when we're actually in there, one actually, the things that we thought were important kind of get reframed because we see that those things that we thought were important were actually important because other people thought they were important. And then we began to think they were important and we did them for some form of validation. I mean, and we kind of have that from birth. We look to our parents to validate that we're good and that we're worthy and that we're doing things right. And we actually, we really never stop doing that. When somebody enters into a darkness retreat, now there's actually no opportunity to do that. You can't look to your coworkers to look to look that you're thriving. You can't look to your Instagram followers or your podcast followers to look that you're doing good work or your wife or your kids. Or re- There's no gauge of worth in the darkness. And so the whole relationship to worth gets reformed in there. And one's whole relationship to discomfort takes on a new form and a new new way of relating and orienting. And the dark retreats here are soundproof. And so people enjoy screaming and expressing and having cathartic experiences while they're in there. There's really, there's nothing that one can't do in there vocally to just let it out because no one's going to hear them. And that's another unique thing about entering into the darkness is really for the first time in someone's life, again, it's like you're not seen. No one's seeing you. And one can also let go of at a core level of survival. Like, I mean, somebody could go off into the woods. People ask, what's the difference? I could just go camp off in the woods. It's like, well, they're still, I mean, you're still engaging and processing the world. And at some core subconscious level, you're still aware of survival. There's still like, being protected against maybe some animals or like w- whatever it is. But when one's in the darkness, there's there's something that lets go at a really core level because people feel so safe. And because of that, they feel vulnerable and they open and they begin to touch new spaces within themselves without any practices, any techniques, any modalities. It's just the nature of what happens when someone feels safe and they're not processing all the things in the world that they're used to processing. Yeah, I get. I guess there's a, a major similarity there. We, it's, a, it's a conscious way to return to the womb because the food is taken care of, everything's taken care of, and it's just me in the space, in this safe, dark space, processing myself, except now I'm an adult human who's had a whole lifetime of experiences. What inspired you to get started with this? I mean, it's quite a specific niche to be exploring. So how did you get into darkness uh, therapy and, and ultimately specifically have your own Sky Cave retreats venue? After I finished college in 2005, I went west. And about a year prior to that, I began spending a lot of time in solitude. Um, I had kind of a, a disillusionment with with the world, so I wasn't really moved or motivated to achieve and aspire in the world at that time. And I got turned on to spirituality. Um, mushrooms really opened me up to other spaces within myself. I didn't follow the path of plant medicine, but that really opened me up to what was possible within and brought me deeper into spirituality. And then I began spending a lot of time alone out in the wilderness. And prior to my first dark retreat, I had maybe spent two, two and a half years alone uh, out in the mountains, mostly in Southern Baja in Mexico, uh, usually four to six months at a time. I'd go in once a week into the little village, get some food and then go back up into the mountains. And in 2011, somebody mentioned a darkness retreat to me. And it really piqued my interest as I had a really deep connection with solitude and the, the exploration of what happens within that. And so in 2012, I actually I blacked out my house and me and my wife actually did a darkness retreat in there together, um, which is an entirely different experience doing it with another and blacking out your house. And so then six months later, I was like, I'm going to do a solo darkness retreat. I went down to Baja where 
where I spent half my year and we were building a little earth bag dome. It's kind of underground. It was a seven foot diameter dome. And I went in there to do my first darkness retreat. Really tight quarters. I had I'm a seven foot diameter dome. So I had my my bedroll, my my food, my waste bucket, my water. It was all just in this small space, but I was really committed. And um, so I did my first darkness retreat solo one there. And after that, I was pretty inspired to to build a darkness retreat for myself and also to have it for friends to use. Uh, so five years later, in 2018, we built our first darkness retreat here. Started using it um, around the end of 2020. Oh my gosh. I... <laughs> It's hard for me because I, I know I want to do it. Like the moment I first heard about it, I actually heard about it on Aubrey Marcus's podcast. I'm not sure. I don't know. Maybe did, did he come to you? I don't know if that's something you can share actually. No, he, he was in Germany. Okay. Got you. Yeah. But yep. that was where I first heard about it. And immediately it connected in something in me because I've, I, I've worked as well with plant medicines. I appreciate their medicine, ayahuasca, mushrooms. Uh, my favorite medicine right now, one of them is, is ice baths and also breath work. And when I, and yet I'm still navigating so many parts of myself that feel like, like you've said that you've touched on, it's like they're formed based on external inputs. And so for me, like, so for example, when I first did Vipassana, I've actually only done a Vipassana retreat once, like the 10 day silent meditation. I went from zero meditation to Vipassana meditating 10, 11 hours a day for 10 days. And I, and it kind of broke me in a way. Like I didn't really want to meditate again after that because it was so, so disruptive to my, to anything that I knew or, or understood. And I'm wondering, you know, you're someone who's spent a lot of time in, in isolation by choice, which, you know, in the mountains, in your own space, in your own, uh, is there a kind of person who might come along and say, I want to do a darkness retreat. And you would say, wait, maybe go and do like a week in the wilderness a few times first and then come? Or do you feel like anyone could really benefit from a darkness retreat? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, good question. In the beginning, I, I felt like that. Uh, in the beginning, when we set out and, and built this, my feeling was this was going to be for people who had spent time alone, who had a lot of experience meditating. Um, but those weren't the people who came and they're actually not the people who come. And so as I've witnessed hundreds of people come through here over the years, it actually uh, counterintuitively tends to be the people who have not much spiritual background, history, stuff, who for the most part tend to go further. Um, what I see that happens in the darkness is the people who have a really strong spiritual self are less willing to go beyond themselves because there's a lot of worth and purpose and uh, that comes from their spiritual self. So when they're alone and they have this relationship with themselves of how they relate to themselves, there's, there's an upliftment that comes from it with them. And so there's less of a willingness to really move beyond their techniques, the modalities, their thoughts, their structures that kind of keep them in that. I have in the past fallen into that category. So I know that very well. And, and then there's people who come who don't have that. They get in the darkness, the rug gets pulled out from under them. They have nothing to hold on to, no spiritual sense of self. And so they just, they open and they begin to go way beyond themselves and touch profoundly new ground without necessarily holding on to old structures of like how they view themselves and who they know themselves to be. There's almost a more, there's a, a greater openness and willingness to really move into something brand new. I am so interested in what you've just said. It's it, what I'm hearing you say, and you can tell me how I'm doing on that, but I'm hearing that that this idea that a spirituality or a spiritual practice, although obviously in service to life and gives a sense of purpose and direction, can itself become a limitation in an experience like this because, oh, but I'm very comfortable in my, myself as a spiritual being who has a practice and has all these methodologies and modalities. And that actually that can become a preventative from fully letting go into something beyond description. 
Yeah, I mean that that's been my experience and my experience witnessing others is that I mean also within our new age spirituality or however we qualify it it's like a lot of that it markets to creating moving into a higher better version of yourself being the most interesting person in the room do like having the best <laughs> the longest breath holds the longest cold plunges manifesting all kinds of things for yourself for the world but that makes you feel worthy and again nothing wrong with any of this it's just the nature of how things are but to actually begin to see that mostly there's, I think it was H.H. Almas. He was a, a non-dual teacher from, I think, Turkey. One of the things he said is when people set out on the spiritual path, they tend to have this idea that they're bound for heaven. And um, and, and then there's Choygem Trumpa, who is like, the problem with Westerners is that they want to witness their own enlightenment. You know, there's this sense of like doing it for, it's like the self-worth is coming from the things that are appearing, the manifestations, the becoming a higher version of yourself, becoming your higher self, whatever it is and however it's kind of conceived and structured. And that can be the barrier that keeps someone from actually going beyond all that beyond even being a higher version of yourself, because ultimately that's just another structure. It's just another idea of who we are. And what we are has nothing to do with who we are. Right? So like, what we are has nothing to do with what's appearing. And in the darkness, that that truth begins to be lived by people. There's a real visceral experience that peak experiences aren't enough. They just don't cut it. It doesn't matter if you had ecstatic bliss through your breath work or this, whatever it is, because it doesn't last. And in the darkness, it, it feels eternal. And so although you, you ride these waves, and that's not to say one doesn't still enjoy the bliss and the ecstasy and whatever visions and visuals may come and really far out lucid dreams, but you really begin to touch that which remains. You really begin to see that there's this thread that's woven through all of it. And so one just naturally starts to emphasize that which remains. And all the stuff that appears, that comes and goes, actually becomes less interesting because it's not actually enough. And that becomes really clear in there. And, and I think we've heard that through different spiritual literature and maybe as people share, different people share their wisdoms and their insights, but it really, one lives it in the dark that like the stuff, the things, the experiences even aren't enough. It's really the softening, the resting, the opening into that which remains. Yeah, this is connecting very much to what anyone who listens to this podcast will have heard me mention before, where I've noticed, and perhaps this has always been the case, but certainly in our new age sort of spirituality, the the butterfly or the enlightenment is held up as a destination we should all be seeking, when really the butterfly is one part of a cycle that is just continuously unfolding, butterfly to egg to caterpillar to cocoon to butterfly, and that each of them is... And I, I, what I'm hearing from you is that through darkness, there's an opportunity to be all of them without needing to get to any other of them, to all of them and none of them. So it's it's like without a destination in mind, here I am. Well, the, it, it's uh, one sees, uh, and there's another Choygam Trumpa, and I'll probably share a few of his quotes because I just think he's brilliant in how he's, what he was able to touch and communicate it is that um, like enlightenment, is simply seeing our confusion more clearly. I think he said awakening. It wasn't enlightenment. It was like awakening is seeing our confusion more clearly. And so in the darkness, you see that aspiring, you see the misery in aspiring. You see the misery in striving because there's you're not going to get there. 
in the darkness. There's like, there's nothing to strive for. There's nothing to aspire for. Most especially outwardly, you're not doing anything. And then even inwardly, when you want what you don't have, you're miserable. Now we all know that and we've all heard that and we all forget that. But in the darkness, you don't forget that. You, you experience that moment after moment. If you aren't just simply relaxing and softening into what's present, then you're most likely on some scale miserable because there's nothing else to distract you that's going to kind of really make you forget what's going on for you right now. And so there is this interesting insight that arises for people where they see the aspiring as, as misery. And so it's almost like the darkness moves you to just soften and rest and relax. Now, that's not everyone. It's not like a free pass. You just go in the darkness. You see your misery and you, you start resting and softening and relaxing. But that is something that happens for a lot of people. And there's a process. We're, we're amazing at surviving as humans. So we all have different levels of coping, dissociating, numbing, insulating ourselves from discomfort. We all do it all the time, every day. I do it throughout my day. And, and then we do it again in the darkness. And so there's these different levels of like when someone actually is able to notice dissociative coping patterns and like leans in and includes and brings in discomfort, which is so counter to even our counterculture. Like somebody who's, it's really not proper or there's really not space for someone to be depressed or sad or really even angry. Like those things are like, move on. They're very unspiritual. They don't even fit into our culture. And then so in the darkness, for the first time for someone, it's like they don't have to rush through those feelings or emotions. There's actually space for it. And there's nothing to compare yourself to. So it's like, there's no bad. There's no good. It's like that's within the realm of duality and within the realm of comparing. And so when one enters into the darkness with no teacher and no teaching, you really get stripped of your compass of gauging yourself. It just, everything just is. It it is what it is. And that's, again, something that we've heard and maybe it makes sense to some of us and maybe not, but that doesn't matter. It's something that's actually lived in the darkness because there is no gauging of is this good or is this bad? Now we still do that through our experiences because the truth is we still want peak experiences. We still want spiritual experiences. But when someone really begins to lean into what's there for them in the dark and goes beyond a lot of their structures and spiritual structures of what it looks like and how it's going to feel, they begin to really touch that space that remains. And that space wells forth just this feeling of worth and completeness and wholeness that is independent of what's appearing. It kind of gets right to the heart of the whole thing. It's like there's no there's nowhere else to go but here. And mm-hmm. in that there is this huge I mean I can feel how there's an anxiety that I feel rising in me at contemplating like even just stepping in and feeling that the door closed behind me and being like uh oh. <laughs> is there a time when, just on a practical level, like say I, I step into the darkness retreat and however long later I'm like, this was a terrible idea. I want out. Is there a way that you navigate that? I mean, is there a point where you go, okay, we actually need to pull this person out? Or is there some sort of modality, some way of supporting someone in, in, in going through those really difficult sort of bottleneck points of like, I don't want to feel this discomfort anymore. Get me out of here. Yeah. Um, I mean, at this point, there's, I have a really good sense when somebody arrives, if, if, if it's appropriate or really most supportive for them to be in the darkness the full time that they're intending to. It becomes really clear early on. And if it's not when they've arrived, there's maybe a sense of it. And then after maybe their first day in there, there's kind of a real feeling that 
this actually might not be the most supportive thing for them. And so when I come up in the evenings to bring food, we have a conversation through the door. Um, we talk, it, it might be for a couple minutes, it might be for 20 minutes. It kind of varies as per what's appropriate and when the, the conversation and the movement ends. And in some cases, rare, but in some cases, we'll encourage people to come out of the dark. To even, there's been a couple people, it's like, hey, in the evenings, why don't you open the door and we can chat like in the light? Uh, you could still just open the door and stay in your space. I'll stay back here, but we can like, you could kind of diffuse the container a little bit and, and even just stay in there. Or with some people, might be like, come out at night um, and you could go for a little walk. And it's rare, but we don't have the experience we offer is not a cookie cutter experience and how we interact and engage and support is not, there's no playbook for it. It's really like meeting each person where they're at and then having them self-directed self-guided experience and leaning in with them to support that. So yeah, with some people it's maybe encouraging them from the very beginning when they arrive, it's clear and it's like, why don't you weave in and out of the dark, go into the dark for however many hours, come out and whatever feels appropriate. And with others, it might be like, let's open the door and we can just chat. And so, yeah, there's, and there's a light switch in there. There's candles in there and the door's never locked. So people can turn on a light or walk out. And I think that does bring people some level of support and comfort when they're in there, knowing that they're choosing to be in there. It also brings another level of, of really leaning in because you know each moment you're choosing it because you could leave. And so that's one of the questions that I ask everyone when they're in the dark, and it has a much bigger impact when you're in the dark, is what matters most to you. Now, if you ask someone in the world, spiritual or not spiritual, a lot of people are going to say love or peace or freedom or enlightenment or awakening or kindness or whatever it may be. But then if that person's honest and they look at each moment of their day and what's actually moving them, it's most likely rarely that. It's like we're moving to seek worth. We're moving to seek fulfillment. We're moving like it's not like we're, we're not really usually coming from the inside out, fully rested in this quality that we really want to want to matter most. And so there was, there was a young girl, she came, a young woman, and she came and did a darkness retreat last year. And when she was in there, I asked her, you know, what matters most? And I think her first response was love. And then as we began to unpack that the next day, I was like, so how's that going? What, you know, what's, what matters most? And she said, actually, I just want to be rich and famous. And, um, I said, well, great. Let's like, that's your authentic truth right now. So let's go with that. Like, why do you want to be rich and famous? And she's like, well, I want to be seen. And then there's this unpacking of like, what does it feel like when you're seen and all these things? And, when she came out of the dark and we were chatting, she said, you know what? I realized that what I want is to be rich and famous and to be seen and accepted and feel like worthy. And what I want to want is spirituality. And I realize now while I, why I don't really get that far spiritually because it's actually not what I want. It's what I want to want. And I think clarity around that becomes really clear for people in the dark of the difference of what they want and what they want to want. And it begins to really shift in the dark too because it becomes clear that the things that they want, which is really to be worthy in the eyes of everyone in the world, or in some people, in the eyes of some people in the world, which then makes us feel worthy and seen and accepted. Or there was somebody who was here and like what he wanted most was to be of service. And then as we unpacked that, because that feels righteous and good, and it is, and also is its own trap, is when we unpacked why did he want to be of service, it was to be seen. 
and to be accepted and to be worthy in the eyes of others. And he began to see, and others do too, the misery in that, especially when you can't do anything to get that because you're in the dark. So all of a sudden you can't get your worth from validation from others. And so you begin to touch like, where does worth even come from if it's not coming from others validating it? As I'm hearing you speak, I have this slight feeling of, I feel a bit intimidated. And I realize I feel intimidated because it's, it's like you've touched a place that I don't think I've ever visited, maybe ever, or maybe for more than a split second in a really profound moment where I just release all stories. And I don't know if I've ever truly done that. And so I'm speaking with you and I'm hearing what you're saying. And, and I realize that I, I'm still, even with all the work that I've done, someone who was for a long time wanted my life to be over and felt like you know, there was no reason to go on and all those stories that I was running. And now I feel like I have a purpose and I'm, and I enjoy serving people and I'm enjoying, actually one of the things I'm really enjoying is making money right now, which is something I've never really, like I've always kind of pushed away subconsciously because I thought there was something bad about that. And now, you know, I'm with my lady and we're talking about starting a family and I'm really excited to do good work as a coach that helps people, helps them to discover more about themselves. And then I'm, as I'm hearing you, I'm like, yeah, I spend a lot of my time and a lot, I think all of my effort on showing that I'm good, that I'm good, you know, I've got, I'm good enough. Even if I'm saying I'm having a really hard day and I'm being authentic about that, it's still a way to be like, oh, look how authentic Nathan is and how he's expressing how hard his day is. And yeah, I'm really feeling, I feel a bit sweaty. It's fantastic. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I think there's, there's like how deep it is in us, right? I mean, I, I have a seven-year-old and a four-year-old. And from the time they're really starting to wobble around, like they're looking to us to confirm that they're good and that they're doing it right. Now more my seven-year-old son looking to see that he's not doing it right because that gets a rise, but like still looking to me for a rise, whether it's uh, good or bad. But regardless, there's like, we're always using someone else as a gauge of our worth, as a gauge of our goodness. It's just, it's just how, I mean, survival as well. Like we would, we would have a hard time surviving if we didn't look to others as a gauge of if we're good, because if we're not fitting in, from the beginning, then we're going to have a hard time surviving. But now our culture is different. We don't live like how we used to live or how we were maybe kind of initially formed and wired to live, like in a community as a collective needing each other. And so to have an opportunity to not have to look to someone or something else to gauge our worth. And again, when we take away the people, we still look to some technique or some idea to gauge our worth. And there's another thing that Choygim Trumpo, he would say, whenever we regard any part of ourself or our experience as the dream come true, then we're involved in self-deception. And that really touches on Let's take away us looking to other people to confirm our worth and our goodness. We have all these ideas where we look to our experience or something within us to confirm our worth and our goodness. Now, something within us that's coming and going, not something within us that's always remains, but something within our experience or our emotions or our feelings or our thoughts that make us feel good and that confirm our purpose and our worth. And not that there's anything necessarily wrong with that. It's just part of being human and being a self and having a personality. And is there something more? Is there a space within that is full, that is complete, that is whole, that is just like worth itself, that just cares? It doesn't care about anything specific. It doesn't care about like liking something more than anything else. It just cares. It's just worthy. It's just full. Is there a space within 
that exists like that. And as someone begins to touch that in the dark and become familiar with that, one becomes less interested. One stops looking to their experiences and their personality as the dream come true. Because we all know the dream never never really comes true and stays there forever. We have these dreams, they manifest, they come true, and then we're on to the next and we're on to the next. And so what is the real dream come true? Like that's the same thing, like what matters most? And I think that becomes clear in the dark for a lot of people is all these dream comes true, these ideas of what we want, it becomes clear that like actually that stuff's it's kind of empty. It's not good enough. It doesn't last. I want something that's going to last through and through my discomfort, my joys, my peace, my love, my depression, all of it. What is that that's woven through everything? Is there a minimum amount of time so obviously, because time disappears in the dark, I have no idea how long have I been in here, 10 minutes, 10 hours. Is there a minimum that you kind of aim for with someone or is it very much, like you said, it's not cookie cutter, it's just based on the person? Yeah, I mean, there's a minimum and we're still, we're still exploring. It's still, you, we really discourage people to go in longer than five days. Um, one thing okay. that I notice is that when people go in for too long and it's going to be unique for everyone with like the varying degrees of trauma and dissociative coping skills and all of those things. But when someone goes in for too long and it gets uncomfortable, which it does on the first or second day for everyone, subconsciously there's this process of like, whoa, I have one or two or three or four or whatever more days of this and it's uncomfortable. So there's like a leaning out and one kind of goes in unconsciously into these coping mechanisms, dissociative strategies, insulating, freeze patterns, whatever it is. And because they're, they've become so normal, one doesn't even know that that's what's happening. And so they lean out. And then maybe on the last day or the second to last day, since it's almost over, there's like, whoo, they start to relax. It's like it's almost over and they have a profound experience or some big movement. And then they come out and they're like, eight days or 10 days was really important because it wasn't till the last day that I had this insight or deep movement. And it's like, maybe, maybe that was important that length of time, or maybe you were kind of in a freeze. And then when it was almost over, you relaxed and started to open and really lean in and then something really happened from there. So I just haven't seen many people who have gone longer than five days where it's actually felt like that was really beneficial. And so it feels like the sweet spot for the average person who comes like is three to five days. And for a lot of people, two days just isn't enough. Um, because there's people sleep a lot in the beginning. And so there's, and there's like getting across that veil, like it's uncomfortable. Like all of a sudden you're, you're meeting parts of yourself that you've never met before. And it's like, you know, it's like there's, you're meeting somebody who you actually don't even want to be friends with because they're depressed and obnoxious and annoying and anxious and like all these things. You don't want to hang out with this person, but like you have to. So like you begin to cultivate this relationship and like include those aspects as part of the whole and not necessarily reaching for what you think is it. And so there's been people who have come and there's these, there's somebody here who works with me and works with the dark retreatants. And there's these somatic cranial sacral sessions that are done two hours for two hours before someone goes into the dark and when they come out. And she also has a, she's profoundly awake and has a really profound gift of being able to point while they're, while she's in sessions And when people are able to then see where and when she's pointing, they begin to touch parts of themselves, of their subconscious that they didn't have access to before. And so she really helps prepare people for the dark and really begins to pull back some of the the veils. 
um, there was somebody who came and in their session, when uncomfortable material was coming up in the body and the mind, they would use their breath work to move the energy. And from that perspective, that's great. You can move energy, you can move through discomfort. But she asked him, she said, stop, don't do that. Like, actually, you're just kind of pushing it down. You're not really moving it along. And also in that, and, and it's a fine line and, and worth exploring. There's no uh, right answer. But in that, there's like this subconscious belief that this is better than that. And in that, we're almost like turning away from the fact that what we really want is this space that 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 remains through it all, that actually doesn't have a preference. But we can't fake our way there. If we have a preference, we have a preference. And I think that's that's the like what I want and what I want to want. Let's just be clear. Like, I want to be rich and famous. Great. Then you might actually be able to get rich and famous as opposed to all these other things that you don't really want. And so there's this, there's just that space where perhaps techniques become a really advanced coping mechanism and don't actually allow us to go through the veil of discomfort of actually like dying to who we think we are which is going to be uncomfortable because the unknown is the unknown and it's going to be scary and who wants to let go of who they think they are i mean that's whether it's depression or anxiety, all these things that we necessarily don't want, but it's like, who are we when we let go of them? So there is this like, to actually penetrate through that veil, you you have to bring in the discomfort. And if one's always grabbing for what they think it is, these higher peak moments as this is it, this is the dream, there's almost a, a staying in your structure, a staying in your personality, a staying in your sense of self and not really going beyond. And in the darkness, it's so simple. Like this can sound kind of complex, but in the darkness, it's the experiences, the more rested and relaxed I am, actually the more worthy I feel, the more at peace I feel, the more love I feel, the more comfortable I feel, even in the discomfort, I feel more comfortable when I'm actually just softening and including. And so it becomes fairly it becomes a lot more effortless to soften and relax and rest when your only other choice is misery. And we just don't have that choice in life where it's that black and white and clear. It's like you either rest and soften and accept or you're really miserable. And when the choice is that, and that's always been an amazing wake-up call for me in the darkness and just in general is like when there's a lot of misery present, it's it's this, for me, an opportunity to like check myself of like, am I in resistance to what's happening? Am I like grabbing for something else or looking for a spiritual experience? Or am I actually soft, rested, relaxed, open, and including? And there's that trap that I've, fallen into in the past and notice more and more when I do begin to grab at it is this like replicating of experiences. Like you have a profound spiritual experience, you want to replicate it because it was amazing. And, you know, there's so there's this grabbing for amazing states of consciousness and amazing experiences. But just to look like, is that what you want? Or is what you really want to be rested and already always free? If that's what you really want, then would you actually be doing this? And maybe you would, but the movement and the, like, the authentic why of why you're doing it is because you're overflowing and not maybe the very obvious or subtle nuances of we're doing it to validate our worth and freedom. Dang, bro. This is crazy. I'm so I've just started I'm I'm in the process of doing a master coach training and I've just started a module yesterday which is called personal power and the entire module is about wholeness. 
And the very first lesson talks about how there's like a circle that is the wholeness of us, of all that we are. And then through the process of becoming human within society and just being human, we, we learn, oh, the, the selfish part is, is not good. So I'll, I'll take that part out and instead I'll be very generous and I'll show you that I'm a very generous. Here's the mask of generosity that hides the selfishness that I don't, can't accept to myself because I was told it was bad. And so I'm hearing this reflection and I love how life does this for me is that when some new piece comes along that's going to serve me, then it, it kind of seems to pour in. And everything you've said in this entire conversation is pouring in this idea that I have work to do around, around these parts of me that I've said, I accept you, you are beautiful, I welcome you into who I am. And there's these other parts that I'm like, you don't get to be a part of Nathan because you don't serve me, you don't help any other people, you're, you're, you're so-called negative, and that that itself is creating... It's this whole story. It's a trap of of chasing some ideal self that actually isn't real. Mm-hmm. So yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's it reminded me of well, two things. One was um, Ram Das used to say that like our neuroses don't go away. We just become a connoisseur of our neuroses, right? There's this like <laughs> we really become very aware of them, familiar with them, able to expose ourselves in our lack. Like there's not this sense that we don't have lack. We don't have faults. It's kind of like, actually, I've become more aware of my lack and my faults. I've become more aware of my confusion. There was somebody who came out of the dark and he said he was a product of new age spirituality and social media spirituality. And he's like, I feel like people would view me as less spiritual because what I got out of this was a greater sense and more awareness of my faults and my lack, and I'm actually not trying to hide it. And I was like, that's actually like authentic awakening. There's this full exposure of where we're at, and we're not trying to hide it because this is not better than that, because it actually doesn't matter. That which appears does not define that which we are. And there was a there was a woman who came. She was a spiritual teacher. And on the fourth day, when I went up to check in with her, she was crying and she was so happy. And she was like, the darkness finally broke me. I did a great job at holding the darkness up. <laughs> like with all my tools, all my techniques and modalities and all the things, I was really strong and like, and I'm crushed. It finally crushed me. And a lot of people relate like the darkness is like a weighted blanket that just like continues to push on you and like that it's just constant and it crushes people where finally you just, you break. And as humans, we just, we don't want to break, especially as men. It's like you're strong and you like, but like, it's opposite. It's it's counter in the dark. Like you want to break, you want to fall apart because that's when you begin to move through your veil of who you think you are and begin to touch something new. And she was like, I realized that I resent my dad and that because of that, I actually resent all men. And I see why my relationships with men don't work out because I just, I resent them. And in who, how I was organized spiritually, resentment is most certainly not allowed. Resentment's bad. And so I wasn't even able to see that I had resentment. And she said, I also see that I use my faith as a way of insulating myself from being disappointed. Like I'm always like, it's always meant to be, or it's always perfect. But that's actually keeping me from feeling the authentic disappointment that's there. I'm just like, no, it's meant to be. As opposed to like, no, that fucking hurt. But that wouldn't, that didn't fit into my spiritual structure. But now, holy shit, all my structures have just been like pulled apart and I can see them all, all the ways that I organize myself, all the ways that I have framed myself in my world, I now see and it's amazing what's happening now. And this was her experience in there when she began to see all the different ways that she organized herself. 
to keep herself feeling good, feeling worthy. And then all of a sudden it was like, whoa, that's actually not really enough. That's actually not where worth and goodness are truly gauged from. And I know with transformational experiences, one of the things that is really important is the preparation, the integration. And I imagine with this, it's similar because it's like, okay, so I've had this, I've come into something that I'm either, well, I guess there's no real way to prepare. There's no, there's no modality, no practice, no. So, but then by the same token, and I'd love to hear you speak to preparation as well, but for me, integration has often been where I've kind of, in a way, um, fallen back into old patterns. So having a transformational experience and then step into the structure of my life, which is kind of also the structure of my old self and quite quickly realize I'm playing out exactly the same old patterns that I had so much clarity on during that transformational experience. How have you witnessed that playing out? And do you have recommendations for preparation and integration for an experience like this? A lot of people ask, how do, how do I prepare? And um, I still haven't thought of or come up with a really great answer for that. I ask some people, and I used to ask a lot of people when they would come out of the dark, like, hey, how would you tell other people to prepare? And they're just like, I don't know, have no intentions. Like, there's just like, <laughs> like, how do you prepare to die? Like, that's the thing. It's like this sense of preparing is this sense of kind of progressing and achieving at being better prepared, right? Like there's a scale. If you're preparing, you're better prepared or less prepared. And there's just like, who's prepared to die? Like, how do you prepare to die? Or you're just like, I don't know. That could be something for somebody to reflect on. Like, how would you prepare to die? And then it's like, that actual event doesn't really matter. It's more just dropping into what's happening now, no matter what, because you're going to die. And so that's perhaps the best way to prepare. There is a two-hour session that happens with Adrian when somebody arrives. And that's really the best way to prepare. Now, granted, that happens here. So there's really not much that I could really think of for someone to prepare before they come, except like maybe laying down on the earth or in bed when somebody's not sleepy and just beginning to be with yourself without survive without striving without achieving without trying to get somewhere without trying to do anything just attuning to where you're at and softening relaxing being with being in whatever's happening that's really would be the best way to prepare and then in terms of integration People come out, we bring them out of the dark in the morning, and then they have another two-hour session with Adrian to close out the experience to really, and to go back into kind of the, the nuggets that they touched in the dark. And so it really brings it deeper into their body, those, the knowingness, the insights, the wisdoms that they rested into and lived from. And then they have the rest of the day to go for walks on the land, go in the sauna, just journal, kind of slowly be with what they touched. And then they leave the next day morning. We're in the, the process of expanding. And in expanding, we would have a bigger common space and be able to really accommodate and be with people so they could stay longer. That would kind of be the more ideal where people could stay for three or four days after. They could go, they could be with other dark retreats who just emerged, other dark retreatants who were leaving. They could be with more of the people here who are holding the space. There's a tech, there will be a tech room so they could actually dive back into their tech life and while they're integrating and kind of still removed from their day to day. So, I mean, integration is certainly challenging because you've you've totally transformed how you relate and then you go back to your world which has everything of how you've always been and so there is a period for most people uh, where like it can be pretty uncomfortable again when they go back to their day-to-day because like there's such a disparity there's such a contrast of who they were when they left and who they were when they came back, right? I mean, that's just the challenge of integration. But the knowingness and that space that they touched lives with them. And so what we've heard is like a week or two after, it really starts to integrate for people where they like, 
it really comes back online and it starts to get woven through them again. And one of the unique things about the darkness retreat from integrating plant medicine or a meditation retreat or all of these things is the profound new spaces that you touched in the dark came on just from relaxing. It didn't come on from an exogenous substance that you took. It didn't come on from a breath work or cold plunge or meditation that you were doing. All of these things that are kind of activities that you do that if you're not doing them back at home, they're going to be harder to, to access. The spaces that you touched in the dark came on from simply relaxing and softening. And you just can't forget that. So when you go, and it makes it way more accessible because you weren't doing anything. You were actually not doing. You were just softening and being where you're at. And so that wisdom, that knowingness that someone lived from in the dark, when they go back to their life, it's a lot easier to access that than it is through plant medicine and other modalities because it's not like you have to do anything. You just start to be exactly where you're at. And you had this deep knowing that you lived from in the dark that just simply being here and resting was the thing that set you the most free. And it wasn't through doing anything else. And so when your freedom is not related to any external activity or specific way of orienting within, it becomes more easily accessible in your day-to-day because it's just simply through rest, softening, and opening, which you can do no matter what's happening. This is so beautifully challenging to a lot of how I have been showing up in my life. I really appreciate this so much. I want to ask you one more sort of practical question and we'll wind it down. But um, this is more because obviously you guys, and I'll share, of course, all the links to you in the show notes. So if anyone's uh, in the area, then they can get in touch with you. But then I'm thinking like even for myself here in South Africa, if, if someone is thinking of doing, say I'm thinking of doing my own little solo one day to just see what it feels like, um, how would you recommend someone goes about like exploring something like this when we don't have access to what you're offering? A little is better than none, right? Like I wouldn't say one should definitely come to a center and be in a a totally foreign space from where they are because there is something about entering the unknown and getting out of your house that really helps move you beyond your your day-to-day stuff because you're not in the normal space that you're in. Um, And also having support from somebody who's familiar with moving in the darkness also is is really helpful. Now that aside, if that's not possible, blacking out a room in one's house is, I think it's enough for someone to touch like, I want to go deeper into this. And then they may know like, I want to go to an actual center where I'm you know, removed from my normal stuff and I have some more support to really go deeper into this. So blacking out one's room with, the bathroom, with a bathroom could be really beneficial. Now, airflow is an important thing because I've blacked out a house before and I've gotten mold. I blacked out the spot where I did my first dark solo darkness retreat in Baja and then there was also mold when I came out. And so working with airflow. I mean, if one has like forced air in their house and they're able to hook it up so air is just kind of dumping into the room, then that's just something to think about when someone is considering blacking out their space. Yeah, that's. I love that. That's like one of those little things I would never have thought of, but it's like, oh, there's probably a bunch of things I would never have thought of. So definitely worth properly looking in or seeking professional support when thinking about this. Um, But uh, you've definitely piqued my interest in in all the ways. Um, yeah, this is super powerful. Well, you've answered this question multiple times through this conversation, but I'll ask it anyway, just in case there's anything else that wants to come through. When you hear the words, we are already free, what comes up for you? For me, 
we are already free connects me with that which remains, that space that just is right here always. And that that freedom from being in that space can manifest, project, express even depression, even sadness, even grief, even anger, like that being free doesn't necessarily have of a definable outward look that it's like someone can look totally free and maybe in that moment there's there's it, it is an authentic expression of freedom and when we become attached to what we feel like being already free looks like it can take us away from that space that is just already free right now that doesn't need to do anything or be validated that it's already free and so for me there's been a profound freedom in really accepting that I don't know, that like I just have no idea. And the more that I can really lean into that, the more I, I know, the more I touch, the more I go beyond what I thought I know. And then there's this another level of knowing and another level of knowing. So there is knowing, but woven into that is on a deeper level that I just have no idea and that there's this space this place that remains through it all that is free and that can be free and with all of the arising and the passing of emotions, thought, content, experience. And that that freedom, that space that is already free could be akin to just space itself where when we're just when I am just rested in space then everything is included everything is welcome into this space and there's a profound freedom for me that I've touched that allows me to not emphasize so much what's happening or how I'm feeling, but kind of how I'm resting with all of it. Well, Scott, brother, thank you so much. It's been a deep honor to, to share this time with you. And thank you for for the work that you're doing and for the space that you're holding. And yeah, I'm just honored to, to have had this opportunity to check in and touch in. So thank you. Thank you for having me, Nathan. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Scott Berman, for joining us on the We Are Already Free podcast. You can find links to Scott and Sky Cave retreats, as well as many of the things we talked about at alreadyfree.me slash 39. If you want to hear more about the most extraordinary and unexpected outcomes that Scott has witnessed from people who have completed a darkness retreat at Sky Cave Retreats, find the link to the bonus chat in the show notes. I'm just wanting to give a huge thanks to all of you who listen to this podcast. Uh, some of you follow me on social media, some of you don't, and I guess you don't know me that well, or maybe you do know me very well, but I kind of want to experiment a little bit here and try a little bit of a freestyle. As I'm sure you can tell, I put a huge amount of effort, love, care, tenderness into this podcast. And I've kind of kept my personal stuff out of the, the intro and the outro because I really just want to shine a light on these gorgeous guests. And I want to keep doing that. But I figured, hey, at the end here, you know, if you're still listening, clearly you're enjoying whatever it is you're doing and maybe you've got a bit more time. Um, and I do hope that you take the action and go to the show notes there. It, good stuff there, obviously. 
but I really just want to let you know that I'm here and I'm real and I'm going through stuff. Life is intense and I've been really navigating that intensity again recently after having a period of feeling so solid in my practices, etc. I think one of the big things that I'm challenged by is the sense of aloneness and also the sense of how busy our culture is, that it doesn't leave time for, for winter for hibernation you know it's winter here right now and the mornings are late and cold and the evenings are early and cold and dark and i am struggling to maintain any kind of a morning practice which means that everything else starts to destabilize and when i start to destabilize i really fucking struggle to ask for help so i'm just letting you know maybe this is something you resonate with what i have noticed is that what comes up is as a this lack of worthiness that we've been discussing in this episode and fortunately, I have such good systems in place around my men's circle, some of the, the men, specifically men in my life who I can reach out to. So I'm not just always leaning on my lady Carly when these things come up, but she is also there and we do talk about it. And yeah, so just navigating a lot of tenderness right now and feelings of unworthiness and what comes with that is a sense of, I want to give up. I want to stop. What's the point? Who cares anyway? All those stories. So yeah, just if you resonate with this, if you feel this, um, please know that you're not alone. And please know that this is literally the work that I do with others. I have coaches I work with as well and people I get support from. And this, these are the things I support others with. So if you feel like you even just want to have a chat with me, just reach out. Let me know. How did this land for you? How are you? What's going on for you? I'd be honored to serve you whether you become a client or not. It would just be really an amazing experience to know who you are, where you are and how you are. So yeah, if you're feeling those challenges, or if you just want to check in and chat and send me some love, that's always welcome. Again, show notes, alreadyfree.me slash 39. And thank you so much, dear listener, whoever you are. Thank you for being here with me. I love being me with you. And I love that together we are remembering that we are already free. I'll see you next week.